0: Welcome to Dishing Up Nutrition with licensed nutritionists and dietitians from Nutritional Weight and Wellness. We explain the connection between what you eat and how you feel. Stay tuned for practical, real-life solutions for healthier living through real food nutrition.
1: Slow down, you move too fast. You got Well, to make welcome the to Dishing fast. Up Nutrition. You now, this is the first show of 2019, and we're starting this year out with a very important topic, cancer. It's a cause of cancer from our genetics or from the environment in which we live? What do you think the answer is? Is it our genetics or is it our environment? Hmm. Hmm. That is a very good question,
0: and I think the answer is going to surprise a lot of people. I think so. Yes. So according to recent research, cancer has surpassed heart disease as a leading cause of death in many states in the United States. And the researchers have estimated that cancer is expected to surpass heart disease as the leading cause of death nationwide in the next year. The question we need to ask is why
1: is this happening? You know it really Marcy it seems like everyone has been touched by cancer either you know yourself right a child, a parent, a sibling, a friend, or a coworker
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know so today we 've invited a cancer expert to join us to discuss this very important topic of cancer. You know, I'm Darlene Kavist and our co-host this morning is Marcy Vasky. You heard her voice. Yes. And we're both licensed nutritionists and work with a variety of clients who are seeking nutritional solutions to their health problems. And that is a new concept for a lot of people. A nutritional solution to health problems. It sure is. Good point. I like that you pointed that out very clearly for everybody today.
0: You know, and even though our company's name is Nutritional Weight and Wellness, we really are so much more than just a weight loss company. And many, many of our clients who are, they're coming in, they're struggling with chronic illness and they're seeking those answers to help them restore their health. As nutritionists, we're always helping our clients to use nutrition to find the answer and restore their health. And every day we do this.
1: Every day. And people are just amazed with the result. You know, we're always looking for the answer to chronic disease. And there's so many people with chronic disease these days. You know, we're constantly reading research, reading books attending seminars, and last fall at the Great Lakes Conference that was held right here in in Minneapolis, I heard an amazing speaker who shared information about cancer. And I just knew our listeners would want to hear that information. So we invited Dr. Robert Rakowski from Texas to join us today to share some of the key parts of his presentation. It was a long presentation. It was a great presentation. <laughs> awesome. And we know we can share all of that. So you might be thinking, hmm, who is Dr. Robert Rakowski?
0: Well, let me tell you a little bit about our guest. Dr. Robert Rakowski has been in clinical practice for over 26 years, working directly with clients on a wide range of health problems, including cancer, which we're going to dig into today. He has taught over 10,000 hours of seminars to doctors around the world. Think of that. That is a lot. That's a lot and has helped many people who were unable to experience help or relief through drug-based medicine. And, of course, he has many important letters after his name, but that isn't as important as his his great passion to help people improve their health and his ability to communicate that passion.
1: You know, and I think one of the things that I really appreciate about Dr. Bob, and that's what we're going to call him. Oh, that's much easier. (laughs) Is that he has the energy to dig down deep to find solutions for different health problems. So, Dr. Rakowski, welcome to Dishing Up Nutrition. It is really an honor to have you on the show this morning. You know, it really seems you travel all the time presenting for a variety of conferences, plus you really have a very busy clinic in Texas, don't you?
2: I do. I do. We have a a great patient base, client base, ranging anywhere from world champion athletes, Olympians, to people that essentially have had no success with medicine. And and some of those folks have even basically been sent home to get their affairs in order. Mm -hmm. uh, 27 years running, we've got great successes at turning a lot of these people around by doing exactly what you're talking about, focusing on health rather than the illness.
1: Sounds great. And that's what we want to talk about. So, How do you keep it all together? You're traveling all the time. You know, one of the things that uh, you talked about at the conference that was just, I don't know if everybody else noticed it, but I did. You mentioned at the Great Lakes Conference that you sleep about nine hours most nights. So share with listeners kind of some of the research about sleep and about melatonin as a cancer prevention and I don't think many people would think about it that way.
2: You know, I, I think the literature is emerging that sleep and the body's own production of melatonin may be the single top, most universal and effective healthcare strategy. Well, mm-hmm. Let's take it from a little different angle. I'm going to assume your, your researchers maybe know a little bit about melatonin, uh, but we tend to think of it as our body's sleep chemical because there's a nice portion of our brain that makes it, and at night we fall asleep. But the reality is our body, and more specifically our gut, makes 400 times the melatonin as the brain. And we do make it. And we make it from an amino acid called tryptophan. And not to get too advanced for the audience, but melatonin is very, very calming. Uh, When your body's under a stressed circumstance, it triggers something called the fight or flight response. And guess what? It shuts off or dramatically decreases the amount of melatonin that's made. And you look and and the emerging data is so powerful that there's articles that have been published over the last decade multiple times with a few changes basically called the 10 hallmarks of cancer. And a very recent article says that melatonin has an impact on every single one of those factors in a very positive way. So, you know, when you ask the question, how do we keep it all together? You know, I will go to Confucius. He says, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. So I (laughs) absolutely love travel, adventure, contribution, and this is one great way to do it. Uh, And another quote is, if you don't take time for health, you'll soon have to find time for sickness. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I I realize that for me, we, we all are a little different. You know, sleep is almost like shoe sizes. Some people need a little less. Some people need a little more. Some people need a lot more. But we need to find the right fit for us in terms of sleep and lifestyle so that we go to bed, fall asleep without much difficulty at all, without much challenge. We wake up refreshed without an alarm clock and ready to face our day. And so we, we want to make time not just for sleep, but as I tell people, I call them the Magnificent Seven. You've got to eat right, drink right, think right, move right, sleep right, poop right, and talk right every single day.
1: I love that. Every time you say that, you know one of the things that you've mentioned at the conference was that you actually take melatonin on a daily basis. I believe. Talk a little bit more about that, because you know we have so many listeners and so many clients that think that taking melatonin is harmful Mm -hmm. for them.
2: Well, they have animal studies where they can actually dose the animals with greater than their body weight of melatonin which is which is hard to imagine they, mm-hmm. they have the ability to do that but you know for sixty to ninety straight days with no known toxic response and and the benefits are pretty incredible but one of the things that I like to to talk about is i'll call it a stress reset or a melatonin reset so one of the things we know that melatonin does is it actually binds to our stress glands the adrenal glands and prevents our central nervous system our brains drive on stress and maybe we have some technical listeners but it actually binds to what's called the adrenal corticotropin receptor Uh, and so interestingly enough since melatonin is made at super high concentrations in our gut it's very unlikely that it crosses the blood-brain barrier think about it if it did and melatonin puts us to sleep we'd all be asleep all day long So it has plenty of function in the body and a different function in the brain. In the body, it's gonna put the stress on melatonin, modulate the inflammatory process, have a positive impact on all of the hallmarks of cancer. And just depending on how much detail we may wanna go to in the end, when we put the brakes on the stress response, and and Mm -hmm. I like to do it for about seven to 10 days with melatonin every waking hour, Oh, wow. uh, we actually reset the body where it can actually start responding to its hormones. And this might be a concept worth talking about, but maybe someone in the, in the audience is wearing a wristwatch or a necklace or maybe a ring. Uh, and the first time you put this on, you're very, very aware of it. But over time, you don't even know it's there until you bump it on something and, and then you go, oh, it's there because our body actually ignores constant stimuli. In fact, I'm guessing most people have a little humming in the room or or even the outdoors where they might be. But once we realize it's there, it's consistent, we just don't even pay attention to it at all. Mm -hmm. And it's like that with stress hormones. We know that our bodies actually stop responding to the stress hormones, and sometimes people think stress hormones are all bad. No, they're actually life-critical. and They do a lot of great things for us, but it's just when they get out of balance, too much of them for too long, uh, that we create some real significant challenges.
1: And I think that that's happening to a lot of people. You know, I think if you take this, maybe for the next minute, Dr. Bob, if you kind of go back over the fact that you actually have people take a little bit of melatonin throughout the day for, what, seven to ten days? I think I heard you right. Yep. So is this like a milligram or two milligrams or three milligrams or what do you usually do?
2: A milligram is sufficient for, for almost everybody, but they will go up to three in some cases. Okay. And so, quite simply, once they take that melatonin and it gets into the body, it's going to actually start immediately buffering the stress response. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a concept in the medical literature over the last decade called cortisol resistance. I think a lot of listeners have heard of something called insulin resistance, where insulin doesn't work as well anymore. So the body actually starts making more insulin. And there's some challenges with that because they have increased fat storage and increased inflammatory process. But as the body starts to ignore the effects of the stress hormone cortisol, we start losing the benefits of cortisol, uh, which it's a very powerful anti-inflammatory. So the body starts making more and more and more cortisol. As the patient becomes less and less healthy, the body has a harder time clearing that. Yes. And cortisol has a downside too. Too much of it, it actually breaks down lean tissue. And then it stops or dramatically reduces its ability to control the inflammatory process. Uh, And literally, our brain and body can get more or less stuck in fight or flight with immune suppression, inflammation, and just an inability to rest, recover, experience joy, uh, and and things that we need on on a daily basis to enjoy life and be healthy.
1: You know, Dr. Rakowski, we see that with clients every day, don't we, Marcy? Oh, we do. I mean, that's... And so we want to go, I know we have to go to break here in a a second, but we want to kind of go back over some of that and help people understand that. So,
0: Marcy? All right, I'll take us to break. You're listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. Today, Dar and I are talking with special guest Dr. Robert Rakowski about the causes of cancer. Only 5 to 10% of all cancer cases can be attributed to genetic defects. Some of you may be surprised to learn that what does contribute to someone getting cancer is actually our environment. Sad but true. So environmental factors to be concerned about are going to be daily stress you live with, the toxins you're exposed to, and inactivity. So let's stay tuned to Dr. Bukowski explores these factors in detail.
1: Well, welcome back to Dishing of Nutrition. You know, as nutritionists, we often get these questions, you know, when we're doing consultation with people about Mm -hmm. cancer prevention. Yes. Can I eat red meat? Or should I juice to prevent cancer? Is margarine or butter better? And we know there are so many conflicting messages everywhere you turn about food and diet. But the bottom line is, to support your immune function, you should be eating real food. Yes.
0: And we believe each of us is in charge of our own health. And we need to work with our genetics to avoid getting in this disease state. So are you wondering... How do I learn that you know listening to dishing up nutrition is a great starting point, but maybe taking our weight and wellness series is another way way a great way to get in a group setting you know making an individual appointment with one of your favorite nutritionists is the personal approach
1: so I guess ask yourself how can I eat to be a, the best that I can be and I don't know if how many people ever think that way how I can I so. eat to be the best that I can be you know you know, go to our website, weightandwellness.com, to check out your options. You know, if you prefer to call and ask questions, we're happy to answer. We are. Our number is 651-699-3438. And now we're going back to our discussion about cancer. And, Dr. Bob, you know, I still think that people believe that cancer is a genetic problem and not an environmental problem. Um, can you talk a little bit about that just now Um, Yeah, I'll I'll turn it over to you.
2: You know, we we could talk about it at great length, but (laughs) you you can even review the peer reviewed medical literature. And it's pretty much universal consensus at this point that cancer's maybe 5 to 10 percent genetic and between 90 and 95 percent environmental. And, you know, sometimes we want brand new references such as yesterday, but there was an article published in the Royal Society of Medicine that actually looked at the cancer incidence of, of people in England uh, in the mid-1880s. Ni- uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, 150, 160, 70 years ago, however that w- long ago that was. And that was a golden age of discovery. So they did autopsies on everybody back then. Mm-hmm. And they actually estimated that about 2% of people in 1880 died of cancer. Wow. And about 6% died of cardiovascular. Now that's not that long ago, and especially on on the human time clock. So our genes have changed very, very little in that period of time, mm-hmm. but yet there have been dramatic changes in the environment. So I can share some data on twin studies, which is fascinating and probably the most telling study on on cancer uh, environment versus genes was published in in 2015. So it's likely that a lot of the listeners know that our genetic material is stored in a part of our cell called the nucleus. And when cells divide, they actually have to replace or repeat, redo the genetic material to create a new cell which has the exact same copy. So this clever researcher actually said, okay, let's put this to the test. I'm going to take normal cells with a normal nucleus and I'm going to put it into a cancer cell with a cancer nucleus or cancer genetics. And we're just going to quite simply swap the nucleuses, by the way, they call these cells cybrids, if anybody wants to look that up. But when they put the cancer nucleus into the normal cell, that cell actually remained normal. Um, when they put the healthy nucleus inside of a cancer cell body, in other words, the genetic mm-hmm. material was just fine, but the cancer cell body was sick, those cells actually replicated as cancer cells. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, that should have really turned all of our research on its head, Uh, and and hopefully in time it will, but different areas around the world are are better at doing studies, And, and we look at Denmark, and there's something called the Danish Twin Study. And they took biologic twins that were actually adopted out, and then they looked, okay, what happened if their biologic parent, in other words, a parent living in a completely different environment, died of cancer or died before the age of 50? what was the probability of the adoptive child in a separate environment dying of cancer before the age of 50? And there was no correlation whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Now, cardiovascular disease actually had a, a pretty high correlation there. To take that a step further, if the parent in the family they were living in, their adopted parent, died of cancer before the age of 50, then the child was actually 300% more likely to die from cancer. Okay. So clearly... It's the environment which is the biggest issue, and we see it on the cellular level, and we see it in human studies, which are very well done.
1: So we we need to get that message across over and over and over that what we eat and what we do in our environment makes a difference, whether we are going to come down with cancer or not. At least a big percentage of that, like you said, like 95% of cancer cases are really related to what's going on in our environment. It's 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 That's still shocking for people, and I know that, to think that.
0: Right, and just that it's preventable. We have control over this. I yes. think that's a really key thing.
2: You know, There's a, a metaphor that I often use that makes this somewhat clear to people, but I was at a cancer lecture over 30 years ago. An absolutely brilliant researcher asked a question, it was odd, and his question was, how does a hurricane start? And the answer he wanted back was a hurricane starts when conditions are just right. Mm -hmm. He then asked, how does a tornado start when conditions are just right? How does cancer start when conditions are just right? How does cancer go away? Change those conditions. And the conditions are pretty well documented. Low oxygen, low nutrients, high acid, chronic inflammatory process, and suppression of the immune system, which is usually related to stress.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. So... And I, I we want to talk a little bit more about stress, but before we do that, Doctor Bob, let's just talk about food a little bit for people. You know, some of the the sugars and the processed carbs, and you because know, because this will all affect their immune system as well. Yeah. So can I just let you go with that one?
2: all right, Well, right let's do it so first first and foremost one of, there's some quotes that i love about nutrition and one is nutrition is not alternative medicine nutrition is the foundation of life yes and, and love that. We, we can't live without it And then you you look at these processed foods and we might argue that there's some benefit but there's been a lot of downside to it as well so when we eat processed foods that have chemical additives and chemical preservatives and they've taken away some of the benefits to protect the body from a blood sugar rise We know that there's one universally really sick diet put into any population on the entire planet, and that is what we call the SAD diet or the standard American diet, S-A-D, which is, is just too many processed foods, too many vegetable oils, not enough fiber, not enough plant nutrients. And just going back to that study in the Royal Society of Medicine, you look back then, it was actually estimated that in 1880, people literally had 10x 10x the amount of, of plant nutrients or phytonutrients mm. in their diet uh, than what we currently have. And again, we see that the cancer incidence was less than one-tenth of what it, what it was today, or what it is today.
1: Wow. wow. Yes. Mm-hmm. So well, I think we're going to take a quick break again. Okay, and then when we do come back, let's talk a little bit about stress and the effects that it has on our bodies and on how it can really lead to having cancer. So, Marcy. Perfect.
0: You're listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. If you love knowing more about nutrition, let me suggest signing up for the weekend wellness seminar, the weekend of January 25th through the 27th. So in addition to learning a lot of great information, nurses and social workers can actually get continuing education credits. And this seminar will present information to help you on your own personal health and also the health of your patients and clients. So save $50 when you sign up by J- January 18th with the Early Bird Special. Call 651 699 3438 or sign up online at weightandwellness.com.
1: Well, welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. You know, this morning we are uh, speaking with uh, our special guest, Dr. Robert Murkowski. And we're discussing lifestyle factors that support our immune system and reduce our risk of developing cancer. And, Dr. Bob, uh, before we went on break, we were going to talk a little bit about how stress actually can affect our immune system. And I know last week on Dishing Up Nutrition, we talked about how stress leads to weight gain. And, of course, that perked everyone's ears up. (laughs) But it also weakens our immune system. So... I'm just let let you go with this one.
2: <laughs> oh, we we could go for the rest of the show and beyond because uh, this has been known for well over fifty years. In fact, it's generally accepted that chronic stress is just one, or actually now documented to be the immune system's worst enemy. And, and as I tell people, the two biggest enemies of the immune system: number one is stress; number two is sugar. Um, but when we look at stress, you know, there's a lot of different ways that we can think about that, but it really is so much dependent upon our own perception of what's happening. So if you actually can take every moment as a gift and try to see the good in everyone in every circumstance, then you've created a stress-resilient being and mindset and, and physiology. So I would often, you know, put up fictitional characters that everybody can relate to, um, and I'm, I'm hoping that most people know of James Bond or have seen James Bond, but, you know, understand that he's being shot at, and, and every bit of the world's future is resting on his shoulders, and he couldn't be happier, uh, because this is how he's trained himself, and this is how he sees himself dealing with his role in life. And and there's a solid takeaway from that. You know, if, if you know, I'm, I, I'm a parent, and you, you have kids, and sometimes your kids can really push your buttons. But you just understand that they're on their learning pathway, and and maybe just apply that across the board to every single one of us. People always do the best they can with what they've got, and I do believe that's always. Uh, but sometimes the best they can do is put themselves in a circumstance to get a lesson that'll have a bigger impact somewhere down the road. Um, and and so how we perceive things is big. But there's another factor that's pretty insidious, and and that's actually artificial lighting. And so. It's hard for people to imagine that the light coming from most ceilings is actually of a blue wavelength, but that is the most powerful light to literally interfere with our body's production of melatonin. And I like to tell a story because it, it, it'll keep people on path, but you know, when Thomas Edison created the electric bulb, there was thousands of attempts that he failed at, but he just kept after it and kept after it and kept after it, and And I read an article sometimes this last year, and I wish I kept it, but they said his primary reason for doing that was he was afraid of the dark. He really didn't want to be left in the dark. but let's go back to the uh, idea that human beings evolved near firelight. Mm-hmm. Firelight does not have any blue hues at all mm-hmm. it it's got orange, it's got yellow, and these are very melatonin friendly, very stress friendly, but the light waves coming from our light and especially our television screens, or our computer monitors, or our smartphones, these are things that are loaded with blue light, and they can suppress body's melatonin, which is the predominant buffer in our body against the stress response. Um, taking it further yet, we're mental, physical, emotional, uh, spiritual, social, financial, impactful beings, and getting a meaningful course in every one of those categories. Can be one of the best stress buffers around. Mentally, we can meditate. Physically, we need to move our bodies more, but not too much. Emotionally, I like to think of emotions as being our head and our heart connection, and that's certainly going to have a huge impact on the stress chemistry that we relieve. Spiritual is is massive in my four-hour lecture that I did on uh, cancer, and by the way, I'll, I'll make it available to the listeners. Uh, free of charge, if, if we can talk about that a little later and, sure. and show how they can just log out and get mm-hmm. it and, and listen to it. Um, but people who have a good spiritual circle, a good sh- support system, are going to live better. Same thing with the social circle. When you're surrounded by people that love you, you have more reason to live, and your body rallies and lives more effectively. When we start looking at financial impactful, usually the number one stressor in families is either going to be money or the relationship with their significant other. We get rid of money, that's half of it. And and then impactful, we're all here to make the planet better, mm-hmm. and we have our unique set of gifts and talents to do that. And when people are on purpose actually doing that, uh, by the way, without the expense of their being, because there's plenty of people that have ultimately got too connected to their mission and didn't take care of themselves, we want to have a balanced approach in all of those areas.
1: That sounds really good. You know, I think if you take that a step further there seems to be kind of a lack of understanding or knowledge about some of these very basic things you know and then as a nutritionist i keep going back to things like you know the kinds of fats that people are eating they really don't understand the damage that they're doing to their cells when they're eating like soybean oil or corn oil or they don't understand the stress that they're putting on their pancreas When they're eating sugar, which then ends up putting stress on their cells and on their immune system. How do we, how do we help people get to that point in their understanding about life to get to that? Say, okay, you know, I really don't have to eat that sugar. I don't really need that. So, you know, I don't know if you've thought about some of those things, Dr. Bob, but you know, you know and I
2: think that when you many, know, what many, 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 many times. Okay. over my my three decades of of working with patients. And So, <laughs> you you said so many things that were powerful. But let's go to sugar because mm-hmm. they have really good ways of studying brain chemistry and functional brain MRIs and things like that and studies are pretty clear they show that 94% of rats prefer processed sugar to cocaine it's tremendously <laughs> addictive mm-hmm. and, yes. and so once people get a little, little they want more they want more and just like any drug of addiction once you start getting acclimated to it once your body's used to a higher level it actually takes more intake to get to that same level and and so food producers have realized that when if they make their product addictive they are actually going to sell more the product. Uh, when we go to these vegetable oils, if, if we look at the studies of our ancestors and what they ate, and, and that's one of my favorite guidelines, eat what your ancestors ate. So someone from Asia is going to have a different diet than someone from the rainforest is going to have a different diet than someone that, than the Inuit Eskimos. And that's what your genetics are going to be matched for. But nowhere back in history did people get such a high concentration of vegetable oils and especially these processed Vegetable oils, and from a, I, I don't know how technical I want to get, but the omega six content of, of the vegetable oils. There's two essential fats that we need: omega three and omega six. We need them both. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. But it's generally accepted that omega threes are purely anti-inflammatory and more flexible, whereas omega sixes are uh, more inflammatory. They create more inflammation in the body, uh, and they make our cells stiffer. And they actually make us fat and inflamed and in trouble. It's something we need, but we need to get the right amount. And so there's some dispute. They actually say that the, you know, ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 for, for people, you know, essentially evolving over time was anywhere from 2 to 1 to 1. 1.5 to 1. And in our standard American diet, I think the lowest reference I've read is 10 to 1 omega-6 to omega-3. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some are are much higher than that, 25 to 1. So here's what that means. We're five times at the baseline. We're five times more inflamed and less capable of repairing than our ancestors were just 200 years ago. And for some people, it may be 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 times more inflamed and less capable of repair. So everything we put in our body counts. I'll go to Jack LaLanne on this one. He said, if God made it, it's okay if man-made it, don't touch it.
1: That's right. <laughs> Perfect. Exactly.
0: Perfect. So stay I, away from those processed
1: oils. Yes. But another one of the things that I, I would love to have you just kind of discuss a little bit is, and I heard you talk about this many years ago, and you say, estrogen is estrogen is estrogen is estrogen. You remember that?
2: And, <laughs> I, I do, and <laughs> I, I still talk about it uh, most weeks in, in my patient base.
1: Mm-hmm. So maybe talk about that because... I, you know, we have a lot of clients that still come in and they're maybe in menopause and they think that they need to be on some type of medication that has estrogen in it. And I always go back to repeating what you said estrogen is estrogen is estrogen. And estrogen is actually um, kind of can, too much estrogen can certainly lead to cancer, can it?
2: Oh, absolutely. It's certainly one of the top risk factors. And, Literally, I read an article since that Great Lakes Conference just in the last few months where they've actually studied the effects of, of estrogens that are in plastics and pesticides injected into animals. And when they looked at the quantities that are found in people's bodies, and that's pretty scary. It's it's everybody has these foreign estrogens in their body. They know they can be up to a 100 times more damaging to the cells than, than the normal biologic estrogens. One of my mentors who I did a... a series on endocrinology with her or on hormones with years ago made a statement that was so powerful. He said, estrogens, whether you make them or whether you take them, you need to get rid of them every day. Mm -hmm. And I tweaked that to say estrogens, whether we make them, whether we take them, whether you're knowingly or unknowingly intoxicated by them, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, you need to get rid of them every day in a healthy way. And the body does have 11 different ways of clearing estrogens, And we know when people have a really good balance of especially cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, a high plant diet, a low inflammatory diet, and they manage their stress, then they can clear these estrogens, and and there's clinical studies that show this, up to 950%, 9.5x more effectively, with the right nutrients and balance on board. And so these estrogens, are going to cause challenges for people, whether we're talking about the central nervous system, whether we're talking about uh, bad menstrual cycles for females, endometriosis, fibrocystic breast, breast cancer. And in the male, estrogen actually is going to be, on some level, something that combats testosterone production and is now known to be really, really bad for the male prostate. Mm -hmm. And we'll just take cancer a little step further while we're here. The top cancer in the world is breast cancer. A woman's lifetime risk is one in eight. Top male cancers, prostate cancer, man's lifetime risk is one in six. Wow. And both of these are powerfully linked to estrogens in our body. And now, especially these foreign estrogens, things like bisphenol A, uh, that are universal in our environment.
0: That's incredible. That's great information. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> how, every, how all that estrogen can relate back to some sort of cancer, especially mm-hmm. in men and women. So I suppose we need
1: another break, huh? We do.
0: One more break. So you are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. And lack of sleep is a risk factor for cancer.
1: And we know that smoking is a risk factor for cancer. Right. And lack of movement is another risk factor for cancer. Eating excess sugar or processed carbs is a risk factor. And so is excess weight or obesity.
0: Right. And just those fad diets just don't work over the long haul. So losing maybe a pound a week is what your body will really be able to maintain. And if you want an easy program to live with, sign up for our Nutrition for Weight Loss plan, which starts the week of January 14th. And when we come back from break, we will share how how you can get started.
1: Well, welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. You know, I encourage you to share this show and podcast with family members and friends. I mean, Dr. Bob has a lot of great information And we all need that information to avoid getting cancer. Let's face it. Let's face it. You're right, Dar. You know, taking our
0: 12-week Nutrition for Weight Loss series is an excellent way to learn more about how to be in charge of your own health and to reduce that risk of getting cancer. So throughout the week of January 14th, eight different sessions will start on different days and times at all of our nutritional weight and wellness locations.
1: But if you live outside of the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, You can still take our Nutrition for Weight Loss series. And we have an online class called Nutrition for Weight Loss online. And you can just sign up at weightandwellness.com. That's right. And we want to thank Dr.
0: Rakowski for sharing his expertise and his passion for educating people. The weekend of January 26th and 27th, Dr. Rakowski will actually be teaching an applied kinesiology course at Northwestern Health Sciences
1: University. In Bloomington, right here in Minnesota. You know, he, as you can tell, he's an amazing teacher. So if you're a healthcare professional, we we have a lot of people, healthcare practitioners that listen to the show, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's time to go and get re-inspired. So go online to Northwestern Health Sciences University for more information. And before we run out of time, I want to thank everyone who listens to Dishing Up Nutrition, who takes classes at Nutritional Weight and Wellness, or sees any of our wonderful, wonderful nutritionists or dietitians, and you know, may two thousand nineteen be a year of great health for all of you. And I'm surely planning on that of myself. Of course, that's right. And so, you know, Doctor Bob, we, you talked about you have available a four-hour class, or
2: uh, yes, so that seminar that you actually were, or that your team was at is recorded and I will make that available essentially to the world as a public service announcement. And so I, I think what I can do is, is send you a copy to post on your website. Mm-hmm. I have a, a public figure Facebook page, just Dr. Bob Rakowski, and if people can connect with that easy enough and I'll post it there as well. Uh, I think the more good information that we share and, and you are just so good for our world with all that you share, uh, the better we'll mm-hmm. make everything.
1: Yes, I I love. I mean, I love that presentation that you made, and I could listen to it many, many times. And each you time, had, getting something new out of it. Yes, right. Um, you know, one of the things. You know, Doctor Bob. First of all, is there something that you would love to share with people that we haven't asked you? Um, you know, one of the things that we want people to kind of connect is how sugar. You know, we always hear this, sugar feeds cancer cells. Uh, Maybe talk a little bit about that. One of the other things that I always hear is, should I juice? Yes. I mean, you know, these are some things that we hear from clients. So, you know, we've got a few minutes at the end, toward the end of the show here today. So um, just share what you think you would love to talk about.
2: Okay, well. It's even a stronger statement than that. Not only does sugar feed cancer, but cancer cannot live without sugar. Uh, and so there's even really good medical clinics now in the world that are, are realizing that if you put people's sugar at a very low level, and sometimes they'll even do that with, with injecting insulin, they call it insulin potentiation therapy, they'll put the cancer in a weakened state where then they can use some things that are pretty harsh, like chemotherapy, and have a greater killing effect, and that's very, very important. One thing that people need to understand is cancer's appetite for sugar is so strong that as sugar and insulin increase in the body, our normal cells begin to ignore it, but our cancer cells become more and more and more hungry and able to eat more, and they do it by actually increasing the receptors that allow sugar into the cell. So when you look at juicing, you know it it definitely is a paradox because we know that people need a lot of plant nutrients. Mm -hmm. And I'll go to one of the top researchers of all time, a guy named Bruce Ames, who's a geneticist from Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And he said, quite simply, people that eat the most fruits and vegetables get the least cancer, while those who eat the least get the most. So people begin to think that if they put in tons of vegetables via juicing, they're going to be better off. But we need to look at this case by case if someone's very very sensitive to blood sugar yes then that the juice cocktail that they're putting in their system may really spike their sugar and so certainly less an issue with green juices and and most people don't really crave green juices i'm actually one of those people that does i love a, a nice green juice and kale juice and and uh wheatgrass and things like that but people tend to put in carrot and apple and when you cut off the fiber there's going to be a bigger blood sugar rise And so one thing that I teach all my patients, those that want to lose weight, those that want to certainly control their sugar or their diabetes, they need to know indisputably how everything they put in their body reacts. So people now can get a very inexpensive sugar meter, glucometer, and strips, and they can measure their their sugar in a matter of minutes with a finger prick. And I recommend they do that literally to understand how everything they put in their body affects it. So whereas people will get a lot of, a lot more plant nutrients, they're not getting the fiber. That's a challenge, unless of course they mix it in. Uh, and then they will have an elevation in sugar. The question is, with their physiology, how much of a rise are they getting? And I'll tweak that a little bit. If you're going to do something that's going to elevate your blood sugar, the time to do it is after intense physical exercise. Because we know that muscles can actually take up sugar independent of insulin but they don't do it if they're full. So you've mm-hmm. got to burn out the sugar or the glycogen from the muscle with intense physical activity, and then we know that you can actually replenish that faster with some type of juice. But for the average person out there, I'll just go out on saying anything other than a little bit of green juice for the average person may not be good for their sugar and their cancer risk.
1: I think that's exactly what I would say, too, and I think... Um you know, and the whole thing about making sure that you're testing your own blood sugars, whether you've got prediabetes or not, you need to know what uh different foods, how that affects your blood sugar. Perfect. Um, I think one of the other things is, one of the things that I hear all the time is that a cancer cell has more receptors for sugar than a normal cell. Can you speak to that a little bit? In order? Yeah,
2: So the cells need a door. They need a door a gate to let the sugar in. And so our normal cells are going to have those gates, which are mostly regulated by insulin. Interestingly enough, muscle cells don't need insulin to get sugar in it. Uh, But cancer cells literally will increase the amount of doors, the amount of receptors that they let sugar in, dramatically more than the normal cells of our body. So when people are getting too much sugar, our normal cells will not take in as much sugar, making more of it available to the cancer cell, which will eat and thrive off of it. And just to make one thing that sometimes will hit home, you know, one of the biggest medical tests for cancer is what they call a PET scan, Mm -hmm. and they literally put radioactive sugar into your body, and then they put your body under a scanner, and the cells that take it up are those that have cancer. And now they know that some cancer cells can take up 50 times more sugar than the average cell 30 to 50 times is the general consensus now so it's not a little bit more it's a lot more
1: that's amazing amazing you know we we just love having you on the show (laughs) at least i do and i think marcy you do too very much um any time that you're free, let us know.
2: <laughs> well, we're kindred souls. You know, I I, I I just took a few moments to go through and look and, and see all the incredible value that you're adding to the world. And it's clear why you have such a great track record of success. You're connecting with people in a way they get the message and empowering them to succeed.
1: It's our passion. Yes. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Dr. Bob. Uh, we love it. All so right. it was great having you.
0: It is. Our goal at Nutritional Weight and Wellness is to help each and every person experience better health through eating real food. It's a simple yet powerful message. Eating real food is life-changing. Thank you for listening, everybody. Have a happy new year.
1: Thanks for listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. If you enjoy
0: this podcast, please share your favorite episodes with a friend or leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio.